we're looking at this idea of leadership and we've uh, talked a little bit about it last week and uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm about to uh, tomorrow morning hop on a plane and head off to Canberra and uh, meet with some politicians, the, kind of the other pastors around uh, the Baptist nation of uh, Australia all gathered together and bunch of them we all go and knock on doors of people at parliament we've got specific appointments I've got no idea why I'm going but Troy nominated me because that's what he normally does so I'm going to try and you know I don't know put on a bit of Troy tomorrow but I just I've been thinking a lot about this idea of leadership Uh, and you know I don't know do we have a drought of leadership I'm not sure there's certainly a lot going on in terms of leadership in Canberra um, but I'd like to think a little bit more in detail so we're picking up this topic of David, the making of a leader. We're going to think about that today. I'm going to talk about the idea of the calling of a leader. So before we get into it, uh, I'll just pray and ask God to give us some thoughts and give us some insights. Loving God, thank you for gathering us this morning. Thank you that you are here with us and that you've got stuff to teach us. And I just pray that we'll have open hearts and open ears to be able to listen to what you want to teach us. So we're looking at the book of Samuel, chapter 16, if you've got like a little device, you want to look it up and make sure that I'm not just making stuff up, or if you've got a Bible, you can open it up and check it out. It's uh, 1 Samuel, chapter 16. But I want to take you to a little town called Bethlehem. No, it's not Christmas. It's not the Christmas message, but we are going to a little town called Bethlehem because there is the story um, of King David, a young boy who was going to one day become one of the most famous leaders in all of history. And it begins in a little town called Bethlehem. You see, there'd been uh, the, the appointing of a king, King Saul, for the people of Israel. The people of Israel said, we want a king, we want a king. And God said, really? Am I not your king? And they went, yeah, but we want a king like all of the other nations. And so God said, fine. And they appointed King Saul, and King Saul was a bitter disappointment. And then God said to this guy, Samuel, his main man, his prophet guy, his guy that spoke the word of God to the people, he said, Samuel, I want you to go because I've picked my own king. I've picked the next king and I want you to go and point him out and I want you to anoint him. A bit like what just happened in our show there. I want you to anoint him. Uh, And he's in a place called Bethlehem and he's the son of a bloke called Jesse. And Samuel has a little moment of panic because he says, you know what, there's a leadership spill and then there's blood spill. If Saul knows I'm going to go and pick another king, I'm, I'm in for it. And God says, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, just go be my man. I will show you who to pick. I will show you who to choose. So he goes to this little place called Bethlehem and he goes to the house of Jesse and he says, Jesse, I need you to line up all your sons because I'm here to anoint one of them. And so... I love this. Um, Jesse picks out all of his sons. Come on, all of them. And I I feel like there's a little bit of a parade going on, right? There's a little bit of... um, So the first son... I'm just going to find my notes. The first son, Eliab, comes up and he does a bit of strutting and he's like, brothers, stand back, watch. I'm about to be chosen as the future king of Israel. And Samuel says, it's not him. Don't consider his appearance or his height. He must have been pretty built. Um, maybe a bit like Kyle. I don't know. Um, he says, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, the outward appearance. 
but the Lord looks at the heart. And then brother number two comes up, and his name is Abinadab. And he's actually, he's like jostling with the second brother, and he's like, it's my turn, and he's like, no, it's my turn. No, we're going in age order here, thank you very much. And the second one comes up, and Samuel says, nah. And then the third one says, see, it is me, number three, third time's a treat. And no, it's not him either. And then the fourth one comes up, and he's like, yeah, whatever, I'm busy reading my book, I don't really have time for this, but sure. And no, it's not you either. And then the other one, he calls out to him and he's like, come on up. You, you get... Someone wake him up. He is asleep. And so they bring him up. No, it's not him. And they go through son after son after son after son. And it is not any of them because God's looking for something else. And then Samuel says, are these all the sons you have? And then Jesse replies, well, actually, there's one more. There is another son, young David, but he's out tending the sheep. He's just a young whippersnapper. He's not the one you're looking for. Let's go back and have another look at Abinadab. He's pretty, like, let's go back to, no, go and bring the one into the field. And then Samuel leans in and says to him, you know he plays the harp, right? I'm tipping that. We're looking for a king, aren't we? And, and Samuel says, no, bring him in. We are not going to sit down until he arrives. And you can imagine all the other brothers going, what is going on? As if it's like a little Davy boy. Um, and so then they go out into the field and they grab him. And I've kind of got this visual image of where they're saying, no, just come on, don't worry about the sheep. There's this guy and it's a really big deal. And David's like reluctant going, oh, no, I, I'm so in trouble and I'm not taking the fall for those brothers again. What's going on? You tell me. And they're like, no, just be quiet and come. And then he kind of like races in. Um, and so he comes in and he's sort of puffing. What is it? What's going on? And then David, all of a sudden, sees this big, bearded presence of a man making a beeline towards him. And David's like, what is going on? He's no, he knows nothing of what's gone on for the last hour. And this guy is coming towards him. And David's like, oh, this is big. And something inside his heart says, I need to pay attention to this. Because this guy is coming towards him. And he's got what looks like a million-year-old horn of oil. And this guy's coming towards him. And he's saying, this is him. He's the one. This is the guy. This is God's chosen. This is God's choice. And David's like reeling back. And all of a sudden, this guy with the beard is tipping this oil all over him. And it's running down his head. And it's running down his shepherd shirt. And it's running into his ears. And it's running over his eyes. And he falls at his falls to his knees and he's listening and all of a sudden his heart is beating faster and something's going on and his mind's telling him they're anointing you for something important and his mind is saying no they've got the wrong guy and his heart is saying but what if it is you and his mind's saying it's not me I'm not a leader I'm not the guy I'm just a kid who plays the harp out in the field and then his soul his spirit something deep in him these quite familiar with says but it is you because you know it's you and then God says it is you I've watched you in the field I've watched you tend the sheep I've listened to your prayers I have heard your songs I've watched you seek me with all your heart I've watched you be who you need to be when no one's looking 
I've found the man after my own heart. And so it's you that I want to anoint to lead. Always seek after my heart. Always value what I value. Always choose to be my man in the moment. And David's eyes blink open through the oil that's thick and aromatic, probably a smell that he's never smelled before because he's a shepherd boy. Something's going on in his senses and his mind and his heart. Realizes he's on his knee and he struggles to get back up. And this big man, Samuel, the prophet who's standing in front of him, helps him kind of back up to his feet and he's a bit wobbly. His knees are a bit shaky beneath him. He says, wow, what just happened? It's bewilderment. No words. Dizzy with the presence of God. Not able to put his thoughts in order. Not able to construct a cohesive sentence. And then he realises that all the eyes of everyone are on him. He wants to run for the hills. He wants to go back to the safety of his sheep and his solitude and his time with himself and with God. But this oil of anointing has got him stuck in this spot. He stands slowly and his focus starts to come back. No one's saying anything. No one's moving. Everyone's jaws dropped. This moment's almost sacred. It's like time has stopped. And then Samuel, the prophet, leans in and says to young David, you're God's chosen one. You'll be the Melech Israel. You'll be the king of Israel. That's the role that God's got for you. Amen and amen. Wow. I can't imagine what it would have been like for that boy David to experience that moment. It would have been pretty profound. But what he doesn't do is this, just to totally break the moment that I just created. Ready? I'm the king of the world. We missed the sound. (laughs) That's not what he does. He doesn't do that. That's not the very next thing that he does. He does not get up off his knees and go, well, brothers, you've heard it from the big guy with the oil. I'm the king. Now, order me a golden chariot and get me some new clothes and uh, treat me with some dignity. He actually doesn't. The very next thing that he does is he gets back up and he goes back and he tends his sheep. Because as you read on in the passages that follow in these, this wonderful story that emerges in the book of Samuel is you actually hear that he just goes back on with the job that he's meant to do. He doesn't order a new wardrobe. He doesn't go out and order a great chariot. He goes back into the field. <clears throat> this is what... Samuel saw in him. This is what God saw in him. In Acts 13, this is in the New Testament, years later, millions of years, like thousands of years later, in Acts it says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So I guess what I want to talk about for a few minutes is this idea of the fact that 
David wasn't the big, tall, strapping, king-like lad that the other brothers were. He was just a boy in the field who loved to play the harp and write songs for God and do his business that he needed to do. And yet God chose him. Because God's measurement is different to the rest of the world's measurement. God's measurement is about alignment and values. So when God sees somebody and says, my heart aches for this particular thing, and he sees someone whose heart aches for that as well, that's alignment. And when he sees somebody who says, God, tell me what's important, tell me what's the most important thing, and I will make that the most important thing in my heart, that's someone whose heart is after God's heart. And that's what God values. When someone says, tell me, what are your values and I will make them my values? That's what God was looking for in a leader. So I want to have just three lessons for you from David, the boy who became the most famous king in the world. The first one is humility. He didn't go out and order his royal robe he went back to tend the sheep. And then in the, in the months after that, there were, there were a number of different scenes that happened where he actually was just running errands. There was, there was an errand where he ran and took some food for the brothers who were in battle. There's a scene where King Saul is like, I need a harp player. And I've heard that young David is a good... He was a harp player for the king. That's not exactly kingly pedigree, but he actually just got on and did those things because he didn't say... I'm too good for this. I'm too good to mop the floors. I'm too good to lead the children. I'm too good to whatever it is. He didn't say that. He was, he was humble. And he had willingness to do what he needed to do, which is tied in with his humility. He actually went and did the things that he needed to do. He just got on with it. He didn't sit back and go, no, it's too hard. I don't want to have to have this calling on me. He didn't deny it. He didn't push it away. And the last one is patience. He actually exhibited a great deal of patience because from the day he was anointed to be king, he had to hold that in his heart until he was 30 years old. So probably from when he was a boy of you know, maybe 12 or 15 until he was 30 years old and he actually got to take up that leadership position that was promised to him. He had to have patience. And even more than that, he had lots of times when he could have taken it into his own hands. There's one particular scene which I love. I'm going to tell these guys over here. There's one scene which I really love where he was like in a cave and then King Saul, the, the king he wanted to like take over from, came in there. I won't say what he was doing, but he was doing his business. And he had this great opportunity to actually kill King Saul and take it for himself, but he didn't. He decided to have great patience and he waited for God to give him the leadership that God wanted him to have. He didn't go out and take it. So humility, willingness and patience. I feel like there's a... Not that, that. I feel like there's a, there's a moment... Um, in my life where I've had a bit of a think about it because the other week um, Troy came down off the step and he was talking about being shepherds and leaders and he came down off the step and said, well, you know, next week I'm going away uh, and this one right here is the leader. And I felt like this is what I wanted to do. Who? 
Sure. Who? Like someone behind me? Surely not me to actually have this leadership position. And, and I guess if I go back into my story, when I first learned about who Jesus was and started to um, align my values with him and ask, what's important to you? Because I want to make that important to me. I was right at the beginning of it. And someone came up to me and said, you should help with our student focus program. There's this organisation called Youth Dimension and we go into the local high school and we teach them about Jesus. And I'm like, no, I shouldn't. I don't know anything. I didn't know the difference between Moses and... I couldn't even think of anybody else that I didn't know the difference between Moses and anybody else. I actually knew nothing. And, and so all of a sudden, they're like, you should come and lead this. And I'm like, I'm all right. And so I found myself in there in front of like 30 St. Helena high school students teaching stories about, I don't know, train drivers. Give, oh, I can't remember what it was, but, you know, stories that, that had biblical um, principles underneath them and, and teachings about Jesus. And I'm like, I don't even know what this stuff is, but I'll teach it if that's what you tell me to do. Um, there, was a, there was a part in me that actually had no sense of who am I to lead? Uh, and then years later, I was working at a, at a store and managing a store and my husband said to me, there's a job at the, um, at the Baptist Union, like the head of all the Baptist churches in Victoria and they're looking for a, a, a youth coordinator, a one-day-a-week youth coordinator. I'm like, oh, I could do that. That would be interesting, you know, a regional youth coordinator. So I went and I had the interview and I thought, yeah, one day a week, this is perfect. I can still work in the store and do my one day a week. And I got to the end of the second interview and they're like, great. So we'd actually like to offer you the team leader role. You, you're what? You're who? And then I had to sort of lean in and say, you know, I've actually never even been a youth pastor. And they said, yeah, yeah, no, that's okay. We just want you to come and do the role. And I did it for seven years and it was amazing. It was sort of like this crazy, wild journey of like, well, what's going on there? And even in, you know, today, standing where I am today, it, um, it surprises me. But it, it shouldn't surprise me because of this. This is in 1 Corinthians. And I, I, I stand on this like it is. This is what I stand on. God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And I just stand on that and go, well, he must know what he's doing when he asks people to lead. He must know what he's doing when people are like, who, me? What, do you want me to do that? I don't think so. And then he says, yeah, I do. Because it's about me, not you, says God. He chooses anybody to lead as long as they have a heart that is seeking after his you don't need to be an amazing, A-grade, top quality, you know, fantastic. He just wants people who have his heart and are chasing after his heart. And he'll use anybody. There's loads of stories about how he'll use anybody. So, I want to go back to Bethlehem again for a second time. Because our first king, King David, came out of Bethlehem and was anointed to go on and be a king. But there was a second king that came out of Bethlehem. Okay, Jesus came from Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem and went on 
to be the king. And not just a king on the same level as David, but the king. He came to be the king of the world uh, and to change everything from that day on. When the time was just right, Jesus came and took on his kingship of the world. And he came with those same three values, humility. He didn't come in riding on the biggest horse that he could find, conquering everybody, saying, I'm now the king, sort it out, folks. He came as a small baby. He came in utter humility as a person to walk among us and to eat and to breathe and to work and to teach. And he also came with a willingness not only to serve and to teach and to love and to care for and to guide, but he also came with a willingness to actually die for us. And that was huge. And there was also patience involved because, uh, you know, God had his timing and Jesus had to wait until the time was right for him to do what he needed to do in order to see the world changed. This idea that at the uh, going back to anointing of David, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. I guess if we were to think about what's happened between when that story happened and today, the spirit of the Lord can come powerfully on every one of us because we've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given the presence of God among us to equip us and to motivate us and to mobilise us and to be the power with which we do what we do. So I just want to turn and think for a few minutes about leadership. So I actually don't think that there's leaders and not leaders I think that there's big L leaders and there's also small L leaders. The, uh, the most important leadership role I have in my life is right there on that screen. The most important leadership role I have is Jack, Oliver and Charlie. And God calls me to be a leader in their life and to guide them and to care for them. And I was thinking about when, when, I'm, when I'm crossing a road... Some, some people know this about me, that I cannot cross a road for love or money. I'm useless. I need someone to hold my hand, just like my children. But when, when it's time to cross my road, I take my Charlie's hand and I walk him across the road. I lead him across the road because I love him and I care for him and I want the best for him. And I think that whatever is going on in your life, whatever God is calling you to, whether he is calling you to lead a nation or lead an eight-year-old or lead way to go or lead a friend through a hard time, I actually think he wants us to do this. He wants us to hold people close and lead them. So there are some people here today who are called to big L leadership. They are called to to set direction and to call people to follow and to make sure that everybody gets to the destination. And there are some people that are called to lead one person to Jesus and to put that hand 
in the hand of Jesus. And there are some people who are called, you know, to lead groups. And there are some people, leadership is at lots and lots of different levels. And I think we're all called to lead. But leadership is weighty. You actually have to take it seriously. It's actually important. So when Kristen leads, she actually has to take her best foot forward. She has to take all she's got and lead well because those people matter. Right down to that little preppy whose hand she's holding in that picture. They all matter, so she needs to take her leadership seriously. And I wonder whether for you, you're like, well, that's all well and good for someone like Kristen who's got people that she knows she has to lead, but I don't know who I'm leading. Just ask. God will show you who you're leading. If you ask him, if you say, what is it that you want me to lead? How is it that you want me to lead? Who is it that you want me to lead? Where is it that you want me to lead? And you do it with open hands and you say, God, anoint me to lead. Call me to lead. I'm willing to lead. Imagine what might happen. Lean into the calling. Look for the opportunity. This is my last thought. Actually, it's my second last thought. Now, David, after he'd served God's purpose in his own generation, was died and buried with his ancestors. That, that word, in his generation, that's what I want you to take home today. Where am I called to lead in my generation? When you look around your life, where are you asked to lead? And this is my last thought. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you. Who is it that you need to look in the eye like a grade six boy did with Beck and say, I see leadership in you. I'd love to anoint you with oil. I have my horn full of oil. Who are you going to point out that they have leadership in them and ask and help? Who are you going to lead and who are you going to see leadership in others? Band's going to come up and I just want to finish with a bit of a thought. If you're on the end of the scale where you are itching to lead, because there's a little bit of me that's been that. My, my husband said to me a few years ago, Vonnie, you might have your best leadership when you're 50. And I went, 50? You're killing me. That's like forever away. Well, actually, it's really not anymore. Um, if you are on the scale of itching to lead, then lead beautifully and diligently in the small stuff. Lead wherever you are. Lead in every circumstance you find yourself. If you're on the complete opposite end of that, like do not call me a leader, do not make me lead, then lead gently and beautifully with whoever you find next to you. My suggestion, look around. You might find that someone is following you. Someone is watching how you live then lead them intentionally. Chase after God's heart so that you might have that leadership. If you're the behind the leaders, behind the scenes leader, then lead in that place. If you've been burnt and hurt by leadership, I don't know. Go around again. God's got stuff he wants to do in the world. God's got stuff he wants to do in this place. There's a whole lot of people who've walked in the door this morning who have got leadership written all over them 
and the staff team here at NCR, me, Steve, Matt, everybody, we need you all to make this work. It ain't going to work if I'm the leader. It's going to work if we all lead together in this place. Thanks, guys.